0: Let's look at Joshua chapter 1, and uh, I, 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 this is kind of a launching point for, for what I want to discuss, and I, I want to take a topic um, that, I, that is, involves a lot of teaching, but also is something that we don't tackle in churches probably as much as we should. And that are some of the foundational things. Now yesterday, Pastor Tony, is I'm, I'm honored that you called me a friend because I used him for an illustration yesterday. That was a little unfair to him. So, so yesterday at our conference, I, I stacked up all of these, these paper cups in a pyramid. You, you know, you've seen that before. And I said, Pastor Tony, and then I, and I put them down, and then I said, Pastor Tony, I'd like you to come and replicate this. So he came up, and you know, he started to do the same, which obviously he would be very capable of doing. But I said, I, I want to I do something for sake of illustration. I want you to build this pyramid without using the table here. So then he started to do it on the floor, and I said, oh, I'd like you to do it without using the floor. So then he started doing it on his arm and his finger, which was actually quite impressive. And I said, I I want you to do it without placing the cups on top of anything. I'd like you to build this cup pyramid without putting the cups on anything. And he was a good enough sport to try to put them into the air, but it didn't really work very well. Why? Because if you're going to build something, you need a platform or a foundation by which to build it. Wouldn't you agree? But man, it was fun watching him try to build it, it, just dropping cups in the air. Now, think about that. Wouldn't that be true of the Christian life? That to build a biblical worldview, to build a robust understanding and knowledge of God, you need a foundation for doing so. Wouldn't you agree? And the foundation that God has given is oftentimes what we call general revelation. God has revealed himself in the world outside of Scripture, and that revelation verifies the truth of Scripture. And then from that foundation, we we add to it, um, uh, the, the, the truth of Scripture. And what amazes me is most Christians say, I believe the Bible. A lot, of, a lot of Christians say, I read the Bible. A lot of Christians would say, the Bible is my standard for faith in practice in the world that God made. But do you know that there are a lot of Christians that don't have evidence that the Bible itself is true? You say, oh, Ben, I don't need evidence. I have faith. And my question to that person is why? Why would you have faith without any good reason for having the faith? Did I lose some people? Muslims have faith in the Quran. I'm not trying to be inf- offensive if you are a Muslim coming and visiting us today. But, but I'll tell you, I do not believe the Quran is true. In fact, the Quran is not true. Now, there's some things in the Quran that are true. There's some things in a lot of books that are true, but it doesn't make the, the, the whole of the work true. I mean, there's some good teachings from the Buddha, but, but the teachings of the Buddha will not bring you to eternal life. In fact, there's only one way. Jesus made this declaration in Scripture. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I knew somebody would say amen there. I knew they would. Why? Because that's the declaration. That's the exclusive claim of Christianity. It's to come to the Father, to come to God, you have to go through Jesus. Amen, right? And what amazes me, you know what? There is a little angle here. It, it, it slopes down just a touch. i got to be careful. I almost fell off in the front. In the, well, actually, I did fall off, didn't I? I just didn't face plant. Fun times. You should have seen it. It was... Thoroughly embarrassing. If you think this jacket was red, my whole face was redder than the jacket. Um, anyways, uh, the the Bible. What amazes me? It's a number of Christians that don't have a foundation to say the Bible is true. They just go, "Well, I just have some type of blind faith, and God does not call it to that." In fact, in Romans chapter one, it says the invisible things, because God is an invisible being. The invisible things of Him, from the creation of the world, are actually clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even His of p- eternal power in Godhead so that they are without excuse. What amazes me is the number of Christians that ignore the, the massive amount of evidence and just jump over here and go, I just want to have faith. Now understand, because God is transcendent, there are many things I have to trust Him on, aren't there? In fact, salvation is one of those things. The devil knows that God exists, but he doesn't believe in God. There's a difference between knowing and believing, Right? Uh, faith is going, there are things about God I don't understand. I don't know why a holy God would send his one and only son to die for me. I can't imagine or understand that. But by faith, I trust that he is the one and only way. But I will say you that faith is grounded in rational evidences that, that produce truth. In other words, there are things I can look at that if the Bible is true, that verify it's truth. And today I want to look at that today. Now let's look at, at Joshua chapter 1. And oftentimes I think we as Christians need to have a foundation for the faith by which we have. Joshua 1, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of none. So he did not have any parents. a tough crowd this morning. That was a joke. of you didn't read your Bible, you wouldn't. not even the son of Nun. It's spelled N-U-N. That was a family name. So he's Joshua Nun. Anyways, Moses ministering saying, Moses my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go after this Jordan, thou and all these people unto the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. This is a metaphor. You, you may know the story, you may not. But God called his people out of Egypt to go into a land by which he promised. It's not a fairy tale this happened. In fact, we have archaeological evidence that this happened. Um, in fact, I, I, uh, today uh, or I follow several Israelis, um, one of, well, many of which would advocate for the Israeli nation state. I believe that God gave that land to Israel. The reason why I believe Israelis have the right to be in the Middle East and to be in their country is because God gave it to them. And we actually find this here. So God calls them out of Egypt. He gives them a land that they promised and are going in. And now it's Joshua's responsibility to take over. This is a matter of, and that's exactly what they did. They went in, they conquered the land and inhabited it. Now, I, I can tell you... Um, This is a metaphor, and it often is in Scripture, for the Christian life. So not only did God have promises that he gave to Israel, but can I tell you, God has promises he gave to you. And those promises are available through a conquest. There is a battle that you're facing with the devil today. And so the, these promises, and what amazed me is the Bible even says there's some Christians that will seize those promises, and there's others that won't. They'll stand on the side, and that was true of Israel. And so how, what was the key to success in claiming these promises? So here's what God says. Look down in verse 6. Be strong. That's good advice if you go into a battle, right? Well, it, well, if you believe we're a part of a spiritual battle, don't you believe you, you should be strong? Be strong and very courageous. Or, excuse me, be strong and of a good courage. This wasn't what I was going to preach on today, but I want you to think for a second. For almost two years plus... The media, the cultural bend, was pushing us to do the opposite of this. Be afraid and hide in your house. And literally, the word of God says, "Be strong and courageous." Hmm. Whew. man, that's something there. don't. I, 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 don't get mad at me. It's what the Bible says. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers and to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Look at this verse 8. This book of the law Shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The Bible gives a path to prosperity. Uh, which is not naming it and claiming it it is walking in the truth of the word that 's the bible 's path to prosperity is that we stand in the truth of god 's word that we walk in the truth of god 's word we don 't turn from it this way or from this way and then where we 're walking in the principles of god 's word we will find prosperity but this is my question today how do we know that the bible is true isn 't that a good question what i 'm going to share with you as part of our gospel evidences series I I almost wanted to call it gospel foundations because it's foundational to the method, message of the gospel. This gospel evidence series deals with questions like, does God exist? Is the Bible reliable? Why would God allow bad things to happen in a world that he controls? Did Jesus rise from the dead? And do you know there is evidence and answers for each of these? This is a nine lesson series. At the end, I'm going to tell you how you can get it. But I want to give you part of that series, just a snippet of it uh, here this morning. So we're asking this question, is the Bible reliable? And there are two important questions that kind of fall out of this question, is the Bible reliable? Now, before I get to this, I want to give one qualifier, and that is the Bible actually tells us to love God in three ways. With all of our heart, we did that as we sang today, hopefully you did, with all of your heart. With all of our soul, that's our decision-making process. When you say no to evil and yes to good, you're loving God with your soul. You're you're making choices at your decision maker. You're saying, God, because I love you, I'm going to say no to this. Because I love you, I am going to say yes to being in church today. But do you know there's another element that often we forget in Christianity? It's to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. So today, we want to do some teaching, and hopefully in this, you will learn, but you're going to have to use your brain, especially because I'm going really fast, all right? So number one is the question, do we have the Bible? The next question is, did God write the Bible? What I mean by do we have the Bible Um, is specifically because of the vast number of ancient copies and fragments of the Bible, um, how do we know that the Bible, having been copied so many times, is what the original writers wrote or the original penmen wrote? How do we know we have it? Because isn't it possible that this person copied it wrong, and then this person copied that wrong, and we really don't have Really, what the original was today, and there's a lot of people that would claim that we don't. But it's really there isn't any intellectual or or historically sound scholars that would make this claim for this reason. We have more ancient fragments and copies of the Bible to compare and contrast for accuracy than any other ancient document that exists in the world by about a hundredfold. In fact, in most books, it's a thousandfold that we have ancient copies of. And in fact, it's really interesting. Maybe you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a young man uh, years ago uh, hiding um, from a... uh, uh, from the, the, there was like a like an army coming. He ran into a cave and hide. And he was throwing rocks in the back of the cave, and he heard these weird plunks. And come to find out, um, these uh, all of these scrolls had been put in pottery in the back of this cave. And it was this amazing discovery. Well, he didn't know it was amazing. Pulled the pottery out and actually sold one of these scrolls that was in there at a market. It got passed around, and come to find out, this was the ancient scroll of Isaiah that was like thousands of years old. Well, we did some comparison and contrast and come to find out, do you know there was to the Isaiah that we have today, based on this text of Isaiah that's thousands of years old, do you know there were only six differences? All of them, uh, five of them were capitalization differences. Like they capitalized this letter and the copy did not capitalize the letter. And the other was a different way of spelling one of the words. Other than that, word for word, every every I mean, isn't that incredible? Like thousands of years gap and we're not talking like, oh, the basic idea was there. We're talking every single word. The only difference was is one was capitalized and one wasn't in a few scenarios. I think we have a reliable text in terms of transmission. Now, uh, the, the Bible is the most reliable ancient document we possess today. That is a historical fact. Now, just because we have what they wrote doesn't make the Bible a book from God because a man could write something and it be copied accurately. Now, I will say the preservation of Scripture gives a lot of validity to Scripture. I mean, it has been miraculously preserved. So it does give some validity, but that doesn't, I mean, it's possible by chance a book could be preserved, right? Uh, So then we have another question, did God write the Bible? Now, if we're asking this question, what would be some indicators that would help us answer this question so if i say hey did god write the bible how could i know that god wrote the bible what would be some indicators we're not allowed to ask questions in the main service at church so i'll keep going i will give some if that's okay uh characteristics of a book written by what? number one would you agree that god would claim to be the author if god was going to write a book he wouldn't do so anonymously right so one of the questions i'm going to have when i come into this conversation is well did god write it number two this book that God wrote would be able to make scientific discoveries or or claims that predate the scientist discovering the claim. Because if God is the creator of the world, he would know how the world is made. Therefore, he could make claims about the world before a scientist discovered it. Would you agree with that? You know, we find that in scripture. Number three, a book written by God could make predictions about the future. Anybody ever here heard of Nostradamus okay so this was really popular several years ago, especially when the, when, when the uh, september eleventh uh, sadly the, the the trade towers fell because there was this strange prediction in Nostradamus 's writings that 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 you could kind of parallel but if you know anything about the writings of Nostradamus, most of it was him getting high and just writing stuff that makes no sense at all in fact, there's tens of thousands of pages that we have written by Nostradamus, 99% of it doesn't even make sense. It's not even intelligible. Like you can't even read it. But every once in a while, he'd write something, and you can make a faint parallel to Scripture. But do you know the Bible has prophecies about Jesus, over 230 of them, that predict his exact birthplace down to the city? That predict what the Roman soldiers would do with his clothing once they removed it from him being hanging on the cross? down to not only divvying it up, but that they would cast lots for his outer garment, all predicted in the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? Uh, It can make predictions about the future. Uh, It would be without error. If God wrote it, it's not going to have error in it, is it? Um, And then lastly, it would have the capacity to provide a path that would guide, shape, and change lives. In other words, if God wrote this book, wouldn't the principles of this book be efficacious or possible for us to live our lives, right? I mean, you know, and it's amazing. When you look at something like the Ten Commandments, the latter six, though some deny God, though I feel like the, the the former four are foundational to the latter six, but the latter six almost comprise foundationally all of the laws that exist in the world today. Like don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. You know these these are good basic principles by which to live your life and so the bible would verify this. Okay. So let's let's continue on a little bit. So these were these are all characteristics of a book written by God. Let's see if some of these are true. Uh, Number one, the Bible actually does claim to be written by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 makes this claim all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And in fact, it actually gives specifics about how God wrote it. That word inspiration means breath. That God pre-prepared the 40 men that penned the Bible. He breathed through them what he wanted them to say. And, uh, and, and so all of Scripture comes from God. God makes a claim right in the Bible. Uh, not only does the Bible claim it, this does two things. One, this places the, Bible, the standard for scrutiny very high. In other words, if you go to any part of the Scripture and find errors with it, that really kind of negates the whole thing if the whole thing is claimed to be written by God. In other words, if there's errors, well, then it can't be written by God because God is perfect and holy. Number two... This places the Bible in the category of possibility. Think about this. How many books have you read that claim to be written by God? Even think about this in terms, I've got to scoot this back. I may mess up the thing. I'm going to fall off. Um, <coughs> which, I, which I already have. <coughs> okay, think about the books that you have read in your life. How many of the books that you have read outside of the Bible claim to be written by God. So we can kind of narrow it down to a very small amount of books that make this claim. So it's very interesting. The Bible is very unique and one that it claims to be written by God and that all of it claims to be true. Number two, science agrees with it. Do you know there's not a scientific claim that the Bible makes? Now, the Bible's not a book of science, but when it references facts that can be measured by scientists... It's been proven to be accurate. Let me just give you some examples. This is really interesting. Who is this guy? Just say it out if you know. No, it's a picture of my mother. Um, uh, No, no. Of course, this is a picture of George Washington. And what was he? The first president of the United States. All right. Does anyone know how George Washington died? It was actually through bloodletting. So in Washington's days, I, I was actually told this in between services, I haven't verified it, but they said he had something equivalent to or possibly had strep throat, which is something you can get through. But the doctors came and said, oh, he's got strep throat. We know that disease is carried in the blood. So if we take someone's blood out, we'll take the disease out of them. And so that's what they did to Washington. They emptied his body, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, but back in the day, they used to call doctors leeches. That's how they put, the, they put leeches on them, and they'd suck the blood out of them. And, uh, and so that's what happened to Washington. And he died because they took his blood out. Now, sitting next to the on the nightstand next to the bed that Washington died in was a copy of Scriptures, and it makes this claim in Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. If Washington's doctors would have consulted the Bible, he'd still be alive today. But he probably wouldn't have died then because they didn't have a full understanding of the blood. But do you know who did have a full understanding of the blood? The author of the book of Leviticus, who providentially was God. God knew. Do you know that there's a guy named Ray Comfort that wrote an entire book? on the science that the Bible claims predating the scientific discovery? There's tons of them. Let me give you a few more here. These are called ocean currents. Um, that's what these arrows are. I don't know if you've ever seen these. And, uh, and coming off the horn of Africa is an arrow that points to my lovely home state, the state of Florida. And that arrow is where we get our hurricanes from. Do you know that, that these ocean currents that we now recognize help out in the shipping industry? Um, with ships going around. They help out in our meteorology to predict weather patterns. Um, They're also, they help in the fishing industry. There are so many things that this discovery helps your life on a day-to-day basis. You would be amazed at the number of things that this was discovered by this guy. Uh, His name is Matthew Perry, and he was an admiral in the U.S. Navy, and he was devotionally reading he was just reading his Bible on a regular basis, and he stumbled across this verse in the book of Psalms, Psalms 8 verse 8. It said this, for the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. And as as uh, uh, Matthew, Marty was reading um, this verse, he came to this conclusion that, oh, there must be Some type of paths or currents in the ocean, so he started doing some research, and come to find out, he discovered this incredible, uh, uh, incredibly important um, uh, indication about the oceans all from reading the pages of Scripture. That was Matthew Murray. More scientific evidence. Uh, Job 26, verse 7, talks about the earth free floating in space. Leviticus 15, verse 13, talks about the importance of cleansing via running water. Not just dipping your hands in a bucket of water, but running water. Did you know in the 1800s, one in three mothers died in hospitals while giving birth? And after washing their hands between patients, the number dropped to less than than 2% of deaths of mothers giving birth in hospitals. Think about that because doctors were going from one patient and then to the next patient and they were literally killing the mothers not being aware that they needed to wash their hands with running water. I'll also say this, I'm very thankful for the advancement of medical science but even so, medical doctors don't always get it right. The man who advocated, the doctor who advocated for the washing of hands was actually ostracized from the medical community and died before the, the, the claim was, was adopted in the medical community. And uh, so I think it's sometimes good for us to understand that when people say follow the science, I want to follow the science, not always the claims of scientists. Does that make sense? Because um, not all sciences, they don't get it right every time. Um, the circle of the earth, Isaiah 40, verse, and once again, I'm very thankful for the medical community. Don't get me wrong. Um, the circle of the earth, Isaiah 40, verse 22 that the earth uh, is a circle. Christopher Columbus's groundbreaking voyage was actually an acknowledgement of the claim that the earth was, in fact, a sphere. Job 38, verse 35, the recognition that light waves and radio waves can be sent and manifest themselves in speech. you have to go and look up Job 38 later. These are amazing claims that we wouldn't know or or that there'd be no way of the author knowing this. And yet, here, even things like the internet are predicted in the book of Job uh, thousands of years before man discovered it the dimensions of ships in genesis 6:15 we have the dimensions of the ark this is amazing i'm going to read just right from answers magazine for sake of time noah's ark was the focus of a major 1993 scientific study headed by dr shang hong at the world-class ship research center in crisco based in Daozhong, south korea Dr. Hong's team compared 12 holes of differing proportions to discover which design was most practical. And one of those designs was the design of Noah's Ark. They got the dimensions from the Bible. No hole shape was found to significantly outperform the 4,300-year-old biblical design. In fact, the research team found that the proportions of Noah's Ark carefully balanced the conflicting demands of stability, Resistance to capsizing, comfort, seakeeping, and strength. No, uh, none of the the ark had, or the, the ark has the same proportions as a modern day cargo ship. Pastor Tony, do you know what I think may be true? That Noah had a time machine. And he went into the future... To discover that they, that, you know, the, the proportions of cargo ships and then brought that information back to save the world before a global flood. Well, that is a possibility. Or the other one is that God told them the dimensions and we have those recorded in Scripture because God is the author of the Bible. Which do you think is more plausible when we look at the pages of scripture? Like I said, you can go and look at Ray Comfort's book on the the, uh, science in the Bible. It is powerful. Claim after claim after claim. But not only does science agree with it, history and time reveal it. Do you know the Bible can be fact-checked? The Bible mentions names, dates, locations, events that if they were untrue could easily be fact-checked. But you can go to the city of Jerusalem today and find the temple that Solomon built. The Bible talks about it. In fact, many of the cities in the nation of Israel you can go that are mentioned in the Bible, many of the cities on Paul's journey you can go to today. Uh, um, in fact, the, to this day, you can go to the island of Cyprus and read the, the name, and not only that, the title of the pro council on the island. Sergius Paulus, they actually dug up a a. A big monument to this guy, Sergius Paulus, the Bible actually talks about him. I mean, there's, there's tons of these. In fact, the people, skeptics said the Bible was incorrect because they spelled the name Paulus incorrectly, which was not the standard spelling of the name. And do you know, when they dug that thing up, uh, Paulus was actually spelled correctly, the, the way the Bible spelled it. I mean, like, this is down to the letter, the type of stuff we get. Um, well, look at this. The Book of Mormon gives a, it's, I, that's, that's a misprint. It's not 2,500 years. It's a 1,000 years of history of the North American continent, and not a single name name, date, or place, has ever been discovered. Do do you know that not one occurrence or battle or city in the Book of Mormon has ever been discovered? I'll tell you why that is, because Joseph Joseph Smith made the thing up. Uh, The Bible was not made up. It is a historical account. Now, it was inspired by God, but it is also a historical account of real events. I try, and I often say this, but I often call it, what happened in the bible stories that's not always the best term to use because when kids hear that they think oh yeah i heard a story about jack and the beanstalk that's a story these are accounts this is what happened all right i'll keep going on um Here's some examples of the evidence that are thousands of artifacts and key pieces of evidence that verify the narrative of Scripture and its accounts of battles, cities, and people. We only have time to go over one today, but this one is powerful. This is why I chose the book of Joshua. The walls of Jericho are some of the most amazing pieces of evidence. And understand, the battle at Jericho is one of the oldest historical battles ever recorded, period. And what's interesting, and I want to start this investigation, and we'll end here, but I want to start the investigation of the walls of Jericho by, by actually talking about, about a very conservative, right-leaning, periodical newspaper, and that's the New York Times, so we'll begin there. That was a joke. It is not right-leaning. Not even they say it is. And here's what John Noble, uh, Wilford says. It may be true. That in the words of the old spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. Now let me stop here, and you already see the bias of the author coming out. He does not want to claim that the Bible is true. He doesn't want to say that, but just so you know, the old spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, that's from the Bible, (laughs) He just wants to attribute it to a song instead of scripture. But but the point is, is what he's saying is, he's not saying this is what the Bible says, but that's essentially what he's saying. That the Bible says a study, and this was a study of ceramic remnants, royal scarabs, carbon-14 dating, seismic activity in the region, and even some ruins of tumbled walls down to the wall itself produce what is being called impressive evidence the New York Times what's the evidence been number one the ancient walls of Jericho existed we are already miles ahead of the book of Mormon the Bible is The Bible said there was a city of Jericho. You can go there today and find the city of Jericho. Do you know in the 1920s, there were many scholars of the Bible, you know, scholars, I use that term loosely, or critics of the Bible that said the Bible was not true because of a civilization called the Hittites that they found no verification in the Middle East ever existed. In the late 1920s, a guy named Hugo Winkler studying in the middle east found not only one piece of evidence that the hittites existed but an entire hittite library thousands of of uh of cuneophyte forms like like pieces of stone with writing on them in this library that vindicated the truth of scripture if there's a question about archaeology that comes up, my thing is just keep digging and see what you'll find. It's going to verify the pages of Scripture. In fact, uh, there's, there was a... Um Uh, An Israeli Mossad agent that later was a member of Knesset and became an archaeologist. And he said the way that he digs in Israel with a Bible in one hand and a spade in the other. That's how reliable he feels the scriptures are. So the ancient walls of Jericho exist. In fact, you can go to them today. I mean, it's not safe to go. uh, But but like hypothetically, you could go. You just may get shot. Uh, Number two, the walls of Jericho fell. Well, that was the claim of Scripture. Now, think about this story for a little bit. God tells the children of Israel that come into the promised land to claim their inheritance, and he says, all right, Joshua, I'm going to give you this battle plan. I want you to go to the walls of Jericho, and I want you—now, think about Joshua for a second. The walls of Jericho at this time in Joshua's day were the most significant fortified walls anywhere on the globe. The city was known internationally for being like the safest place you can live, essentially. So Joshua was thinking, we better have some tricks up our sleeve. And Joshua was a, a, a general. I mean, like he knew battle. So he's thinking, maybe, maybe we'll get some flaming balls of tar. Maybe we'll get some, you know, some flaming arrows to shoot over. What are we going to do? And so God gives him passes down the thing. And he said, Joshua, what I want you to do on day one. All right, what do we got here? Are we going to tunnel under? No, I want you to walk around the city. Okay, after that, what do you do? Go home. All right. What do we do on day two? I want you to walk around the city. All right, and after that, go home. And I want you to do the same on three, four, and five, too, as well. And and Joshua's like, this is a weird battle plan. And on day seven, I want you to go to the city, and I want you to walk around the walls seven times. Then what are we going to do? Then I want you to shout. All right, this is where it gets good. Shout, and then come the arrows, right? He says, I want you to shout, and the walls are going to come down. All right, we'll do it. And so they go into battle. Now, here's what she was saying. Now, the walls of Jericho fell. Um, Dr. Bryant Wood says, when we compare the archaeological evidence of Jericho with the biblical narrative, and once again, this is an agnostic, uh, ancient um a scholar who is dug at Jericho, he says, describing the Israelite destruction of Jericho, we find quite a remarkable agreement. In other words, he's shocked. Let me just put this into simple language. He's shocked at how right the Bible is. Um, the wall fell in an unexplainably unique way. This, this is just mind-blowing. So in Joshua 6, 20, the Bible says this, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and... They took the city. Now, there's some really interesting things about the account of the walls of Jericho. One was that they were supposed to burn the city with fire. Another was they weren't supposed to take anything out of the city. Remember, if you remember the story, Achan took some things out. He wasn't supposed to. And there was a massive catastrophic event at the next battle they had because of the wrong that Achan did. But they also, the Bible tells us, that they attacked the city at time of harvest, which I'm going to get to. But this was a unique aspect. That when the walls fell down, they fell in a way that everyone was able to go straight before him. What does straight before him mean? It does not mean like this, right? What does straight before him mean? Have you ever seen a group of troops march? Do you get a picture in your mind? like multiply me at a bunch of times over, and you have a whole bunch of troops going straight before. Now, if there was an earthquake, could they have done that? No, because they would have had to climb through the rubble. They would have made a bunch of single file, single file lines going you know, going through, and then you know, the, the enemy could have stood there and chopped their heads off one by one as they came into the city. So why is it so important that the wall fell down flat? This is fascinating. Dr. Kathleen Kenyon digging at Jericho. And my friend Brad has dug there as well. He goes, Ben, it's amazing. When you dig at Jericho, we find that not only do the walls fall, but they fell underneath themselves. That word flat in the Hebrew uh, is actually translated into English in every other usage of the word. And I believe there's over a hundred in the Old Testament. It's always translated to English under. So that you could literally read really just that the wall fell down under So the people went straight in the city, and you say, well, what do you mean by under? Brad has dug there, and he said the wall literally fell in half, and the top part of the wall crumbled, making a ramp that they could walk straight up into the city over the wall. Man, when God does a miracle, he takes care of it. He said you can do that, and Dr. Kathleen Kenyon made the same thing, and here's what she said, and she's got this long, you know, multiple page article about this, but basically she talks about these fallen red bricks that pile nearly to the top of the revetment, or the leftover part of the wall, that there's this angle, or this ramp that occurred, so when the people shout at the top part of the wall breaks down, and they could walk in one by one right next to each other, just like they were walking right through an open field according to scripture, we actually have archaeological evidence of this. Um, uh, Some of you are going like, Ben, this is really detailed. Here's the thing. God left these details for us to discover, to verify the word that he gave us. Aren't you thankful for that? And I'll tell you this, Uh, There's a lot of skepticism surrounding scripture. Do you know we can go down to literally piles of bricks that verify that? I think that's pretty special. Let's keep going. All right, so grain was found burnt in the city. I talked about this, Joshua 6, 24, and they burnt the city with fire. And all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So they just burnt the whole thing. And and that is completely consistent. As related to the Bible, the event occurred after spring harvest, so there would have been grain. And the Israelites burned the city. Buried stones, bricks, and timbers were blackened from a citywide fire, which they found, and excavations uncovered large quantities of grain. Now, it's interesting, large quantities because uh, stored in the ground floors of houses, indicating the city fell shortly after the spring harvest. Dr. Wood says that the presence of these grain stores in the destroyed city is entirely consistent with the biblical account. The city did not fall as a result of starvation siege, which would have been the way you would have typically attacked Jericho. You wait outside till everyone starves to death and they can't come out of the city and then you go in. But he says that was the common ancient times. Instead, the Bible tells us Jericho was destroyed after but seven days. In other words, the Bible's account actually lines up with the archeology, span but this is the best part of the whole thing. Do you know that we can verify today that not all of the wall fell? Not all of it fell. You say, what do you mean? Do you know there was a lady, she was actually a prostitute that lived in the city of Jericho. Joshua sent over two spies to check out the entire land and one of the cities they went into was Jericho. While they were in the city, there seems to be from the text some indication that they knew that these spies were there. And so this prostitute said, hey guys, come into my house. I will hide you and save your life, which is what she did. Soldiers came looking for the spies. They could not find them. And she saved their life. And she said, hey, don't go through the city. You'll be caught. Rahab actually lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. She said, I'll let you down out of the window of my house. And it just so happens that I am closest, the closest part of the city to the surrounding hillside. So you can run and escape while they're looking for you. All of this occurred. And she said, there's one thing I ask. I know that the gods of of silver and of gold and of wood that we have made aren't real. Your God is the one true God. I don't know how he's going to do it, but you guys are going to come in and conquer the city and I don't want to be on the, the wrong side of this. She said, since I saved your life, would you be willing to save my life? And they said, our lives for your lives, and we will save anyone in your family that is in this house the day we attack. Don't make sure they're not outside the house, but they'll, save, uh, but they'll stay in the house. And in fact, you find instructions in the battle of Jericho that they were told, do not kill Rahab or anyone in her family. They, she helped us out. We're going to save her life. So when they blew the trumpets, the Bible actually says that all the walls fell down. We know from archaeology and even indications in the text that they fell in, in such a specific way that allowed them to easily conquer the city. Except for one house. Rahab's house was still standing. And in, in 1907, I believe it was, In 1907 to 1909, a German excavation group uncovered a part of the wall that did not fall in the north part of the city. I wonder who lived there. Here's some interesting things about that part of the wall. Number one, this was the part of the wall closest to the surrounding hillsides. Remember when they escaped the surrounding hillsides? Uh, So that corresponds with the text. Number two, this was the least favorable location the city assumed to be a slum. They, They determined this by the pottery and the trash that they found around the house. Where do you think prostitutes lived? In the high end of the city or the low end? Verifies the location. Number three, there was a house built into the wall. Wait a second, you're telling me that a book written 4 or, or that a battle occurring 4,000 years ago is, can be verified to this level of detail today? I mean, think about that. To that level of detail. Uh, Number four, this is the only part of the wall that was not destroyed. Every other part was utterly destroyed except for this one house in the wall. And then, oh, oh. And then lastly, here's what I want you to think about today as we, we conclude. To this day, you can go to Israel you can go to Jericho and you could literally put your hands on Rahab's house. You could touch it. Think about that. Not only does it verify scripture, which we know uh, fulfilled prophecy verifies scripture. Uh, we, we know that changed lives verify scripture. History verifies scripture. Not only is that a testament to the word of God being true, but that is a testament to the great mercy of our God. Who says, I care. I have a great love for a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And I'm telling you, if thousands of years ago, God was willing to save the life and family of a prostitute, He's willing to extend His mercy and His grace to you and I. And uh, her house still stands today as a testimony of that. Somebody say, Amen. Ben, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, one reason I know is because of the house of this woman that still stands today. But Ben, how do you know the mercy of God is true? Because God not only looked at Rahab and saved her life, but God used Rahab in the lineage of Jesus. That our Savior Jesus, great, 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 however many great grandmother, was Rahab. Isn't that incredible? Let me add, you can't make this stuff up. That's not how you, you, we say Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know how many kings inherit the throne when they were birthed from the prostitute. That's our kid. The Bible says he's a high priest that cannot uh, that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows who we are. He came to be one of us. He's the savior of the world. And this book is true. You can verify it down to the house of Rahab. But can I tell you something about the Bible? If you're taking notes, write this down. The Bible is a worthless book. Write this down. You say, wait a second. No, we're in a church. You're not allowed to say that. The Bible is a valuable book. The Bible is a worthless book to you if you do not read it and live it. It doesn't have any value. In fact, that's what God said. He said this book of the law, don't turn from it from the right hand or the left hand. Meditate it day in and then you'll be prosperous. I know so many Christians that want to be prosperous just by coming to church. That is not the prosperity that God promises. His promise of prosperity is when we read and live the pages of scripture. That's what the text says. Now let's get honest with... With God, today, how many today would be honest and say, You know what? You don't have to raise your hand, but just take assessment of your heart. You'd say, You know what, Ben? I've not been reading it the way I should. Do you know the evil one doesn't want you to read it? I can sit down to read about any book and I won't be distracted. I sit down to read the Bible, my phone starts ringing, something starts up. There's always the devil does not want you to read a word of this book, he doesn't want it. Oftentimes, when I go to YouTube and I, I will Google, you know, I just YouTube the, the search engine. I'll put my favorite passage and I do KJV audio. And I just have somebody read to me the scripture as I read it because I don't want to be distracted. I want it to get in my ears and my, and my eyes. It helps me get through the passages. But you know what's also scary? That many of the books in the New Testament take less than 20 minutes to read the entire book. When's the last time you sat down and read an entire book of the Bible? When's the last time you sat down and watched a 30-minute show on Netflix? Think about that for a little bit. Football game takes three hours to watch. Book of Genesis, about two and a half to listen to. I want to give you some truth, but I want to give it in love today. Maybe you're missing out on some prosperity in your life because you're not reading the truth of the Bible and living the truth of the Bible. So, oh, Ben, I want to see favor on my children. I want to see favor in my family. Well, are you reading the Bible together as a family?